Hello and welcome. Today we start a new series, Life-Changing Lessons from the Parables, which were stories that Jesus told and that we have recorded for us in the New Testament. Stories can be incredibly moving and powerful things in our lives. Um, people write about uh, the book that changed their life or you know, people are challenged by stories. We can change our mind as a result of reading one. We can change our mind about other people. Um, we can be confronted in a way that um, is both entertaining but more palatable somehow than if someone were to just come and confront us with the truth. It's a lot easier sometimes to hear it in a story. I've just been reading recently a novel called Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, and it, it is the story of the uh, catastrophic uh, collapse of civilization as the result of uh, a virus, a fast-acting and deadly virus. So very timely. That, that was why I picked this book. It's a dystopian novel, um, and I think it was first written or published about seven years ago, but they've, for obvious reasons, brought it back and published it this year. But instead of being depressing, um, I found this book to be... Um, I found this book to help me to discover... The, the miracle of everyday life, because of course there are survivors in this situation, and 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 the contrast between what civilization is like after and before um, the, the catastrophe just made me realize afresh how wonderful everyday life is, the miracle of everyday people and everyday life. So it had a positive message. Um, stories can be incredibly powerful, and Jesus knew the power of story. And so he told these parables. And parables were, uh, they're a special kind of story. They're short. So we're not talking about novels. We're just talking about a short, simple story that he could tell in a few minutes that had a couple of characters. And usually a parable will make one main point. Although, of course, you'll always find commentators who can find five or more things that a parable is teaching. I think most parables and most commentators would agree that they strive to make one main point. And reading a parable is a little bit like standing on a beach and looking out at the ocean. And you look out and you see, you can see the surface of the ocean, but you're aware that there is so much more going on underneath the surface. And so when we read these simple stories that Jesus told, there's a surface, there's a surface to the story. So the characters that are in the story, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and so on, the lost son, they're the characters. That's the surface. But there's a deeper meaning. And uh, we're challenged to look for that deeper meaning. Jesus used these stories to challenge people um, and to challenge the status quo thinking, to challenge culture. So let's jump in. We're going to look today ambitiously at three parables, three parables because um, Jesus told these three, one after the other, on the same occasion, um, as Luke records, about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. In fact, there were two lost sons in the third story. And I think that the stories challenge us to see ourselves in one of the characters. Like, they challenge us to think, am I lost like the character who's lost in this particular story? Can I see myself in that character? Now, of course, um, not talking about being literally lost, but spiritually lost um, and spiritually found. The other thing that's wonderful about these stories is not just um, 
They're not just about being lost, but they're about the joy of being found and the joy of the finder, the joy of the shepherd who finds the sheep, the joy of the, the lady who finds the coin that she's lost, the joy of the father when his lost son returns home. You know, Jesus didn't just tell stories about the lost, but he made it very clear that his driving, um, his driving passion was to find lost, find the lost people and restore them to a loving relationship with their heavenly father. A lot of people say that Jesus was, oh, he's a great storyteller or he was a great teacher, great rabbi. But to be honest, if he, if he really just wanted to be a great teacher, he would have written a few books or started a school. <laughs> but instead, the remarkable thing that um, stood out about his life was his sacrificial death on a cross um, and the prophecies around that, what he said about it. And he said, it was recorded in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came, he said, to seek and to save the lost. So that adds a great weight, doesn't it, to these seemingly superficially simple stories. So let's jump in and have a look at each of them. The first one is about a lost sheep and we read in, in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbours and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So it's a story about a lost sheep and we often find references to sheep in the Bible because there were a lot of sheep in the ancient Near East. Uh, so we read about how in Psalm 95, we are the people of his pasture, people of God's pasture. Um, we are the sheep of his hand. Um, God is described as a great shepherd. But in this story, we are likened to sheep. Um, as we often are in scripture and uh, there's another passage of scripture which says we all like sheep have gone astray each to our own way. I've never actually had owned a sheep but we did once own a golden Labrador and I suspect what this Labrador shared with sheep is um, is not being too intelligent, not being too resourceful and as I recall our Labrador, which was called the fabulous Floyd. Floyd a few times got lost and we lived in a in the city in a highly built up area so he never wandered very far. There was so much of interest around every block that we'd find him soon enough. But when we found him, it was clear that in his own mind, <laughs> however he was thinking, he wasn't lost. Like that dog was just going from one beautiful sniffable bush to the next. Uh, that dog was not thinking about a dangerous road, that dog was just captivated by some wafting aroma on the other side and crossed it. Um, you know, he was completely oblivious to the fact that he was lost, you know. He, he moved from one place to, to Mark <laughs> to another. Um, and sheep are spoken about in that way too, as dumb animals who don't even realise that they're lost. Um, when I was about nine years old, I got lost 
apparently on more than one occasion in a shopping centre that we used to go to um, once a week to do our grocery shopping and other shopping was in Sydney and on one occasion um, I wandered into, I think I was about nine years old, I, I wandered into the centre stage um, where there was, a, there was a show that was being performed and I watched the show and it was great and I was in a great crowd and I was having a great time and I had no idea that I was lost. Um, in fact, in my mind I wasn't lost, but in my parents' mind I was lost um, and they certainly made me aware of that when they found me. Um, I think it was my mother who spotted me from a balcony up high. I could see where I was. Well, what do we learn about this, um, about being lost in a spiritual sense? Um, you can be lost spiritually and not realise it, um, like a sheep or a Labrador. Uh, we can, if you know, if God is not our focus, then we can be um, oblivious. We can have no idea that in a spiritual sense we are lost. All we're doing is chasing one happy experience after another. We just want to be happy. We boast about that. I just want to be happy. I just want my family to be happy. And God wants us to have so much more. And a lot of the time I think we don't realise um, how much more there is, how lost we are to the great God who's created us. Now, the second story is the story of a lost coin, and it's a lady who's lost a coin. She had ten, ten, silver, ten, ten silver coins, and she loses one. And the story says, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. Now, the thing about a lost coin is that it's, it's not even an animal with a brain. It's an inanimate object. Um, the thing about a lost coin is not only does it have no idea it's lost, but it has no capacity to help itself be found. Uh, it has no agency whatsoever. It's, a, it's dead, if you like. And uh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he, he wrote to them in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were lost in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses, um, one interpretation of the Greek says. You were dead. We were spiritually dead. Um, the Bible describes each of us as actually incapable of getting ourselves saved. We, we need God to reach out in his grace uh, to come to us, uh, to find us. And he did that. Uh, in the form of Jesus Christ, became one of us, lived among us in order to save us. And then we come to our third story, the story of the lost son. There was a, a man who had two sons. So I'm in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divides the property between them. Uh, one commentator I read suggested that this young man was probably about 17. They wrote that most young Jewish men married between the ages of 18 and 20. He's not married, so he's probably quite a young man. His very question suggests that he's quite young. And the law at the time uh, stated that in, in this instance where there are two sons, that uh, the younger one would get a third, the older son would get a double portion. 
And it was possible to ask for your inheritance whilst your father was still alive, uh, in which case sometimes it was a smaller portion still. But of course, once you received that, you had received your inheritance and you had no further claim on your father's estate at all. So this young son, I'm, I'm sure even then as now, if a child asks for their inheritance before their parents pass away, um, that it's not received well, that it's, a, that it's a very arrogant and proud thing to do. And this young son, he takes his inheritance and he wastes it. Um, he spends it foolishly, and the one blessing of his wasting all of his inheritance is that it brings him to his senses and he realises what he's given up and he realises that if, if he were only a, a servant in his father's household, he would be better off than he is in his current situation and so he goes back to his he goes back to his father sometimes we can so muck up our lives that um, that our destitution makes us realize um, how incapable we are of actually um, flourishing on under our own steam all by our own energy um, as much in our pride as we would like to be able to be completely responsible for our own flourishing. Um, sometimes when we muck things up, the blessing of it is that it makes us realise uh, we're not as um, resourceful, we're not as sufficient, we're not as good as we thought we were. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that pain and suffering were God's megaphone to us. And it's true that when life is going well, it's easy for us not to think about God, but get a poor health diagnosis or some financial crisis um, or some relationship breakdown. These are all things that can jolt us and make us reach out to God. And I think that's the blessing, if there is a blessing, in what the young son has done. It makes him turn around to change his mind and to go searching for his father again. There's an older son in the story and some people see the older son as a bit tangential to the story. This older son is jealous when the young son comes back um, and he thinks it's just dreadfully unfair that the father's response to the young son coming back is to kill a, fit, a fattened calf and have an enormous feast and to absolutely rejoice in his return. But the older son thinks that that is dreadfully unfair. Uh, the older brother is jealous of the younger son's welcome and uh, he feels, it's clear, he feels like the father actually owes him because of his faithful service in contrast to that um, arrogant younger brother. Uh, the older brother feels he's owed, he's owed respect, uh, he's owed more and he, he says to him, you know, like you've never killed a fatted calf, I haven't even had a goat killed for me. Um, just because he's incredibly self-righteous because he stayed on the farm and he did all the right things. Um, and it means, actually, interestingly, that despite the fact that he lives in the father's house with the father, he knows less about that father's great love than the son who wandered off. That's incredible. 
he's become proud and his pride has blinded him and he cannot even rejoice in his brother's return. To me, this older brother um, is lost too and lost in a way that I think many of us Christians can relate to within the church. Um, you know, he's lost like the Christian who has lost their first love their first love for God and for Jesus Christ, um, their first love for God's love and mercy and for God's kingdom to, uh, for themselves to be more of God's kingdom and for God's kingdom to spread, you know. And instead, Christianity has become a habit, even a chore, a routine, uh, just the way that they live instead of the way, the truth and the only life worth living. Now that kind of lostness I think can happen to the best of us. Um, so in conclusion, a lost sheep didn't know they were lost, lost coin, inanimate, couldn't do anything to help themselves, a lost son, two lost sons. Do you see yourself in any of these stories? Um, perhaps so distracted, so distracted um, just by getting by or so distracted pursuing uh, whatever it is that you're pursuing that you, like the lost sheep or Labrador, you don't even think about God, don't even think about spiritual things, don't even think about eternity and hence have no idea of what you're missing out on, no idea that you're lost. Or perhaps so dead to spiritual things that as you've listened to me preach, you might be saying, you know what, I'm not even on the same page. I'm not even in the same book. <laughs> you know, I, I just can't relate. Um, now, that, that you know, dead to spiritual things altogether. Um, sometimes I think that's the way when people say, oh, I wish I could believe what you do. But I can't. It's true. <laughs> it's true. They can't. Um, you know, when it comes to soul matters, can you simply not relate at all? Perhaps you're like the younger son. Um, for the younger son, he had this dilemma. He reached this dilemma point, which we might describe as a as a form of cognitive or spiritual dissonance and cognitive dissonance is where you you find yourself holding two um, very different um, truths in your head and for the younger son uh, for the younger son truth one was uh, I want to be in charge of my life I want to live life my way and then there was another truth uh, but I've lived life my way and and it's gone badly um, now, for many people, like that just creates a, there's a dissonance there. I, I want to live my own life and be my own boss, but when I do so, life goes badly. Now, how do we, how do we accommodate these two competing, contradictory truths that when we're in charge of our own lives, it's not a good thing? Uh, well, some will say, um, no, it's because of other people. It's other people's fault the things that have happened to me. Uh, it's not my fault. So in that way, they'll kind of come to uh, a resting point where, yes, they want to live their own life and that hasn't gone well, but it hasn't been their fault. <laughs> it's, not that the, it's not that they need help from, help from heaven. Um, but for the lost son, uh, what a blessing it was for him because he, you know the way he related these two, these two things? I want to be in charge, but 
But when I'm in charge, life doesn't go well. The way he related to them was, um, I, need, I need to go back to my father and ask for help. Uh, uh, even the smallest amount of help that he could give me would be... Uh, would leave me in a, a better position than I have brought myself to. Um, or do you see yourself in the older son, busy, doing the right thing, always doing the right thing, always that responsible, Christian, mature person, but having fallen into a joyless religiosity, a joyless religiosity, rather than retaining that vibrant love of Jesus Christ and dependence on God's mercy um, rather than seeing all that God owes you because of you know how, how good you are and all the great things that you do for the church. Many parables. So do you see yourself in any of those stories? Many parables have a twist. There's a twist in the plot, like lots of great stories. And in these stories, the twist is not the lostness. The twist is the joy of the shepherd, the joy of the lady who finds her lost coin, the joy of the father when the lost son makes his way home. Having a sense of lostness is a great gift. It's great. Um, Whichever of these stories, if they, if they, if you can relate to them, that is a great gift. Um, that you know, coming to understand that we are, are unable to make ourselves truly flourish. That the great, joyful, not fleeting happiness, but a joyful life, is actually beyond our reach if we don't uh, return to our Creator and invite Him into our lives. But the even greater thing than a sense of our lostness, I think, is knowing that on the other side of being found is the not judgment but the deep, deep joy of our Heavenly Father who so wants to come into our lives, to be with us, uh, to help us, um, and demonstrated that by, as, as the great American preacher Tim Keller says, as this is like when you read the story of the, the lost son and you see the older son, the older brother, you think, where was the brother? You know, why couldn't there have been another brother who actually went looking for the lost son? And actually that's our reality, that um, we have the brother that's absent in this story. We have a greater brother, Jesus Christ, who did come looking to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom that we might be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. We have a brother who came searching for us, Jesus Christ. The youngest brother in this last story, he shows us the way, he shows us what to do when we realize our lostness. He says to the father, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned, sinned against heaven and before you and I'm, I'm not worthy. I've just come back for your mercy. 
And, um, you know, the father doesn't let him go any further. He responds with so much joy, welcomes him with open arms. It's not so much that we say the same kind of words as the son, but that we have that change of heart that he experienced, that understanding that I know I want to be in charge of my life, but I actually want God in my life as well, that that's the only way um, that I'm going to be able to truly have life, to truly have hope. Um, it's that change of heart that young son, the youngest son, models for us. So let me ask you today, has your mind or your heart changed about God? Do you need to come to God today, whether it's for the first time, or do you need to come to the Father afresh like the older son needed to, to realise afresh his mercy, the his life, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ? Do you need to come to God and to say, my way didn't work, will you forgive me? Will you give me new life in Christ? During the next song, uh, I want to suggest that you, you take whatever prayer is appropriate and you pray that quietly to God. And may he fill you with the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. May he joyfully lead you into life. And may he not, fill, may he not kill a fattened calf, <laughs> but may he fill you with his spirit that leads you into true flourishing in this life and beyond. Thanks for listening.